0: We go all the way back to right after the Mosaic Covenant, and we see how does God make this promise of land to them because they will have to be occupying their land. They have to be in the land in order to install the king over the land. So how are they going to get back to the land? Are they back in the land? How long will they be back in the land for? So we go back to Kadesh Barnea right before the first generation of the Exodus people are about to enter into the land. And we read, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send out for yourselves men so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I am going to give to the sons of Israel. You shall send a man from each of your father's tribes, every one a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran to the at the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the sons of Israel. So 12 representatives of all the tribes of Israel went into the land that God had promised them, essentially, to to check out the promises that God had given them. He's brought them right to the edge of the promised land. He says, go and look at all the riches I am going to give you. And they come back and they have this report to give to the people at Kadesh Barnea. Thus they told told him and said, we went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. They brought back giant uh, clusters of grapes. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large, and moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country and the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. So not only did they go in and see that God promised them a wonderful land, and indeed it is a wonderful land, they brought back physical proof that God's promises exist, that God's promises are there and ready, ripe for the picking. But the majority of the report that they brought back was to say, although God has been faithful in what he said the land looks like, we doubt he is faithful enough to actually give it to us because the people there are large, they are fortified, and they are strong. But Caleb, one of the 12, has faith. He says, uh, where it says, then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it for we will surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land. God said, I am going to give you this land. He says, go in and take this land. They say, "Um, we can't. They do not trust that God is going to bring about his promises. So instead they change the report, they twist the truth in order to scare the nation of Israel into disobedience. So they bring out a bad report of the land, which they had spied out saying the land through which we have gone in spying out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. So at first they say, yeah, the land is rich. The land is great. The people, they're kind of scary. It didn't give the right effect. They expected the people of Israel and all 12 to be in agreement that, yeah, although God promised all this great land, it's just out of our grasp. We can't take it. When the people of Israel were becoming convinced that, yes, we can do this because God is on our side, 10 of these spies decided to change the story in order to produce the results that they thought um, should be produced. So they made up a lie, and they said, the land is terrible. The people are terrible. And I think this is even a lie that the Nephilim were there. This is in the context of a lie that they created. Uh, the Nephilim were wiped out in the flood. And I believe the people realized that this is like saying there are monsters in the land. When you go to a new and scary place, you exaggerate to scare, to tell how bad it is. So they said, yeah, those historical monsters that God had to use a flood to wipe out, the land is so bad, the people are so scary that those are in the land. So Israel, Israel rebelled. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Now this grumbled against is uh, one of the most unfortunate themes to go through all of scripture. The people grumbled against Moses in the wilderness before the before Sinai. They grumbled afterwards, and when Jesus came in the Gospels, They grumbled against Jesus as well. This shows that they are not faithful. They are not trusting of God. They do not believe those who God has sent them to guide them, Moses and Aaron, his prophets. So the whole congregation said to Moses and Aaron, would that we had died in the land of Egypt or would that we had died in this wilderness, they would have preferred not to be rescued. Than to enter into God's promises. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword, or our wives and our little ones will become plunder? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, "Let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt." Now this becomes the pattern of Israel uh, for pretty much the rest of their um, the rest of their history. But I want to pull a few things out of here. First, when we get to Paul in Revelation 11, he says these are the people that God foreknew. So all of these acts of disobedience, Paul is very specific that God knew each one of them ahead of time. When he elected them at first, he knew of every rejection that they would ever commit against him. They knew that they he would they would grumble against him, but he says I didn't pick these because of their faithfulness. I didn't pick these because of their splendor and their grandeur, but I picked them for my glory. If God is able to turn this stiff necked people to faithfulness, how much more glorified will he be than to turn people towards him who are already inclined that way? Israel through its entire history, is inclined towards disobedience. And that is exactly the point. When God turns their face towards him and they are perfectly faithful to him, then he will be more glorified through that. So they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel saying, the land which we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. This is Caleb and uh, Caleb and who's the other one? the two spies with the faithful report. Joshua, Joshua. Joshua. Uh, the land which we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us. This demonstrates the faith that God is looking for. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into the land which uh, the land and give it to us. They are repeating the words that God had said to them, if you keep my commandments. In other words, if the Lord is pleased with us, if you keep my commandments, you will prosper in the land. They said, if we keep his commandments, he will give this land to us because he said he would. A land which flows with milk and honey, only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them. They understood that it is not about how big and scary these people are, but how big and powerful God is. The Lord is with us, so do not fear them. Surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs, which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have put me to the test these 10 times and have not listened to my voice. So God looks at all the people of uh, of this Exodus generation and says, 10 times they have tested my long-suffering. Now, God is a long-suffering God, but these 10 times they have put me to the test, this is speaking of 10 times in which the people of Israel broke the Mosaic covenant in the first generation that it was given to. They shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who spurned me see it. They have been cut off from the land, that first generation of Israel. Again, each generation gets a new opportunity to be faithful to God. The first one failed, so it's given to the second. But my servant Caleb, because he had a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land which he entered. And his descendants shall take possession of it. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will surely do to you. Your corpses will fall in the wilderness, even all your numbered men, according to your complete number from 20 years old upward, who have grumbled against me. Surely you shall not come into the land in which I swore to settle you except caleb the son of jephunneh and joshua the son of nun so all who were unfaithful were barred from the land those who are faithful were allowed to come into the enjoyment of the promise now here's where god gets very uh i wouldn't say tricky it's poetic justice They said, God brought us here to die. He brought our wives here to fall dead in the wilderness, and he brought our children to fall dead in the wilderness. So what does he say? Your children, however, whom you said would become prey, I will bring them in, and they will know the land which you have rejected. But as for you, your corpses will fall in the wilderness. Your sons shall be shepherds for 40 years in the wilderness. They will suffer for your unfaithfulness until your corpses lie in the wilderness. So God says, those kids who you said I brought here to kill, rather they will enter and you will die. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I am teaching you to perform. So he is giving them commandments that they should do once they are in the land now. Notice we're out of numbers. We are into Deuteronomy. God is giving the next generation of Israel, the children who were under 20 years old, once they have fulfilled that 40 years wandering in the wilderness, the previous generation is gone. God gives them again the same law. That's Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law is what that means. He gives them the law again because the law regulates their enjoyment of the land. So in the first part of Deuteronomy, he reiterates the law of Moses. And then at the very end of Deuteronomy, chapter 29, which is the land covenant, he tacks on yet another covenant and says that no matter your obedience to this land, Israel as a nation will receive the land. But each generation has to be faithful and either receive or uh, lose enjoyment of the promised land. So he says, so that you may live and go in and take possession of the land, which the Lord, the God of your fathers is giving you. You shall not add to the word which I am commanding you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord, which I command you. They have to keep the law. Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen, and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life but make them known to your sons and grandsons. So we see constantly within the giving of the law, within the um, covenant structure of God, that there is a requirement to pass on this knowledge to the next generation. And that's why we have signs like circumcision. We have signs like the Sabbath for these covenants that God gave to the Jewish people, because for circumcision, that has to be done from one generation to the next. It has to be explained to the child. uh, why they have to do that to their child, each one receives this not as a means of salvation. A child of eight days old cannot have faith in a God that he cannot be explained who that God is. So circumcising a child under the Mosaic law did not save that child, but it brought them into the covenant that brought them into fellowship with God, they would need to be individually saved through faith alone, but they were in a covenant relationship with God. It's also very important that only the males were circumcised in Israel, and it was not only the males that were saved. Uh, so the covenant, again, does not regulate salvation, it regulates fellowship. There are Pharisees who kept the law perfectly. Um, in fact, Paul tells us he was circumcised on the eighth day, but he wasn't saved until he put his faith in the Messiah. All right, so continuing here in Deuteronomy 4, they have been given the law, the second generation. They are told they need to pass this law on to the next generations so that they would remember the day they stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, that's Mount Sinai, where the lord said to me assemble the people to me and i may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth and they uh, and that they may teach their children you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain and the mountain burned with fire the very heart of the heavens darkness cloud and thick gloom the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments that you might perform them in the land where you are going over to possess it. So watch yourselves carefully since you did not see any, uh, any form on the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb from the midst of the fire. So he is telling them they witnessed the failure of their parents. They witnessed the law. Now they need to bring that law with them into the land and be faithful to the law because it was their parents faithlessness that lost them the ability to see this land. Nevertheless, God knows that they will fail. He says, not if, but when you become the father of children and children's children and have remained long in the land and act corruptly and make an idol in the form of anything, and do that which is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today. Now under the law, they needed two witnesses in order to make something legal. So God is calling heaven and earth, the greatest two witnesses he could, that you will surely perish quickly from the land where you are going over the Jordan to possess it. You shall not live long on it, but will be utterly destroyed. But this failure is not final. The Lord continues and he says, the Lord will scatter you among the peoples and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord drives you. There you will serve gods, the work of man's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. Now they serve the living God. They trade that living God for these dead gods. But from there, you will seek the Lord, your God, and you will find him if you search for him with all your heart and all your soul. And God makes an unconditional promise to them. Here he says, when you are in distress and all these things have come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord, your God and listen to his voice. That does not mean in the middle of days. That is not prior to the church age. That means at the very end of days, you will return to the Lord your God and listen to his voice. For the Lord your God is a compassionate God. He will not fail you, nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant with your fathers, which he swore to them.